we want to welcome everyone to tonight's class on the study of angels and end times. This is our second class in the series, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Um, actually, we'll, we'll do a little refresher from last week, not last week, but actually three weeks ago, because we were off for two weeks uh, or two Sundays. But we started the study of angels looking at the problems with the, the study of angels, uh, most notably the, the problems of the silence of scriptures. Uh, the scripture just doesn't give us a whole bunch of detail about angels. Angels are referenced. They're referenced over 300 times in 24 different books, but it just tells us of their existence. It doesn't give us a lot of details into their nature. It doesn't give us a lot of details into other things. And so we're trying to glean out what it does tell us and separate that from the superstition, celebrate that from the uh, the imaginations of men that have added so much to this uh, and, and try and sort those things through a little bit and focus solely on what the Bible has to tell us and not get too far into speculation. We will a couple times, and even tonight I'll, I'll speculate a little bit just based upon the scripture and, and my best understanding, but but we try to avoid that. And when we try, when we do speculate, we try to give you a little disclaimer to the such. So that's our, our problem going forward with this study, but we want to pick up tonight talking about some biblical facts. And first biblical fact we want to talk about is the fact of their existence. Uh, the Bible talks about them, like I said, over 300 times in, in, the, in its word. Uh, 24 different books. Is the angels are referenced in the New Testament. They're referenced in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, the, the word is, is malak, M-A-L-A-K, uh, which the literal translation of that means that somebody that is dispatched as a deputy or as a messenger and in the biblical sense, it takes on a, a special sense in that it's a messenger for God. Um, and so we generally, that is generally referred to in the Bible as an angel. One of the places that it's not where that word is used, but it's not um, uh, translated in the King James Version to angel is in, in Malachi 3.1, where it says, behold, I will send my messenger. That's that same word, Malak, M-A-L-A-K. I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye, ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Then even, even the, the messenger of the covenant whom, whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. If you know this verse in context, this is talking about John the Baptist. It's a prophecy of John the Baptist coming. And it, the Bible uses that same word that means angel referring to John, but here they've translated, instead of translating an angel, they translated into messenger. So that's also important because we have to look at each individual situation and see, is this talking about a heavenly host type of angel, or is this talking about an earthly messenger and that type of angel? Because the term angel is, is a little generic in the Old Testament, and even more so, actually, in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the, the Greek word is angelos, which is A-G-G-E-L-O-S, which means, again, one sent, a messenger, or it's translated as angel. So it means messenger or angel. It's used to mean a human messenger in a few places in the Bible. Uh, Luke chapter 24, talking again about John, I'm sorry, the men that was sent by John, to Jesus in Luke 24 and Jesus to the Samaritan village in Luke 9:52 are a couple of the cases where that word is translated not to mean a heavenly type of angel that we normally associate with, but as a messenger type of angel, a human, if you will, that type of angel. There's a lot of bad teaching out there about angels. There's a lot of nonsense being taught about angels. And we touched on this a little bit at our last class. And if you go to the bookstore and start looking up, uh, looking for books on angels, or if you go on Amazon and Google 
or Amazon and, and type in angels in the search engine, you're going to see a whole bunch of books that come up that are just nothing but a bunch of rubbish, uh, just a bunch of foolishness. But people are making a lot of money on it. So what we try and do and what we're trying to do with this class is just stick with the Bible, stick with what scripture has to say about it. Uh, scripture is its best interpreter where there's silence, there's silence. You know, the study of the Bible, also called hermeneutics, there's there's kind of two ways to to study the Bible. There's exegists and exegists. And and with exegists, what, what basically what that is, is is where you you take your ideas and you're trying to confirm your ideas with the Bible. Exegists, on the other hand, is where you stay true to the text and you let the text conform your ideas. And so we're trying to stick to that one. We're trying to stick to the latter there as we go through this. I don't want to impart my ideas into this. I don't want to impart your ideas into this. You may disagree with some of the things the Bible says, but that's between you and the Bible. That's between you and God. I'm just going to tell you what the Bible has to say about it. So it's obvious from the number of times that angels are referenced, it's obvious that angels exist. There's also a number of titles given to angels. They're not always called angels. It's not just these two words that are used to describe them. They're called the sons of God. In Job chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Now there was day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Also in Job chapter 2, verse 1, they're called in, in Psalms 89, 6, they're called the sons of the mighty. Psalms 89.5 and 89.7, they're called the assembly of the saints, which can be confusing because there's also another assembly of saints, which includes us later on in the Bible. So like I said, there's some confusion here. And then Luke chapter 2, verse 13, it says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, and of course, that's during the announcement of Jesus's birth. And that host is the word there that is used for a, a mass of angels in that, that particular time. So there's a lot of references to angels beyond the 300 where they specifically say the word angel in the Bible. But we just we want to show the fact that they are real. And we're going to look more into that and see the reality of angels, that they're not just a force. They're not just a figment of imagination, but they are a real being in the Bible. We'll look at the orange origins of of angels for just a little bit. There's, again, a lot of bad teaching on the origins of angels. Where do angels come from? The humanistic view is that um, originated back with the Greek culture, and much of what was established in the Greek culture is still being taught today, uh, or still common knowledge, I guess you could say today, even though it's incorrect and it's wrong, that the, the Greeks believed that when people died, they became either good or bad angels based upon how they lived their lives. So if they lived their lives to be as a good person, um, then they became a good angel. If they lived their lives as a bad person, then they became a bad angel, which we would call an angel or a demon. Um, very short answer is people do not become angels. And in no situations or circumstances do they become the heavenly type of angels that we're talking about in this study. It's also interesting, you know, when I was looking at that with the Greeks and what they believed, it's almost a reincarnation type of belief. And this is kind of like the cornerstones of, of the Mormon religion, where they don't believe necessarily that we come back as angels, but they believe that we come back, um, not just the Mormons, but also the Buddhists and many other groups. They believe that when you die, you come back either as a enlightened or a, a better person, as with the Buddhists or with the Mormons. They believe that when you die, you either become a good angel or a bad angel. Actually, they don't use the term angel. You're actually a god. Um, you become a good god or a bad god. 
and there's a um, God and his, his, the God and his wives are on a, a moon uh, orbiting the planet Kolob, which nobody knows exactly where that is. But they orbit the, the moon of, or they orbit the planet of Kolob, and God and his, and his wives are making babies, and they make spirit babies. And good spirit babies come and, and you know, they inhabit good people, and then when they die, they become good gods, and, and bad spirit babies come and they inhabit bad people, and they, they become bad gods when they die. Um, if you go back to the original teachings of Joseph Smith, which most of this has been purged from the Mormon religion today, the original teachings of uh, Joseph Smith said that the he was very adamant that the good spirit babies went into white people and the evil spirit babies went into what we would call American Indians today or Native Americans and, and black people. It's that, that belief that we leave this world and we become something different, something better. We do become perfected when we leave this world. So in a sense, we do become something better, but we are not something different. We are still ourselves. We're just absent from all the sin. We'll, we'll talk more about that when we get into the end time study a little bit. But that's some of the wrong views. They also believe that, that it's the spirit. It's not just the person, but the spirit that, that's left. Problem with that is, it appears from looking through scripture, is that one, humans don't change species or when they die. And also it appears that the number of angels is fixed. It doesn't appear that, that more angels are being created or more angels are being made. In Matthew twenty-two thirty, 30, it says, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. That's an important verse because that's one of the verses that's misapplied to make people think that we become angels, but it doesn't say we become angels. It's talking about our relationship status and our relationship status is we are not married or given in marriage. In other words, we're like the angels. The angels don't marry. They don't, they're not given in marriage. Therefore, it's safe to assume in that situation that um, they don't procreate. Procreation is something that God has reserved for the institution of marriage, which angels are not involved in. There was also the thought in ancient Greek culture that they were messengers of the gods. So your angel that comes to you may be a messenger of, uh, you know, any of the gods, but and where there's, a, again, a grain of truth in that, they are the messengers of God. They are not messengers of the gods. I hope that kind of, you see the difference there a little bit. Um, there's also the evolution view in religion, which is very popular now. It's gaining a lot of traction. And basically the evolution view and religion is, is that, that the religion that we have today or the teachings that we have today aren't true. They've evolved over time. So you have to go back and and go back in time before the Bible was written to find the truth of what the principles are that were being taught. Well, of course, this leads to a rampant speculation as to what was being taught. Instead of relying upon God's word, you can pretty much say anything you want and make it fit to the roots of the Bible. If you know, if you want to go back far enough, you want to look the right place, you can find anything. So uh, that is not how we're told to, to study scripture. We're not told to ignore scripture and go back to the roots. We're told to, to study scripture itself. A scriptural view, of course, is that angels are individual creations of God. Um, because they don't reproduce as, as humans do, there was a, a necessity to be created individual. Angels are, they're not self-sufficient. In other words, they don't, they, they had to be created. Just like we had to be created, just like every animal had to be created, they also had to be created. Um, they are created creatures. Nehemiah 9, 6, God says, Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, 
the heaven of heavens with all their host. So you can read the rest of that verse if you want, but that's Nehemiah 9, 6. And it says he created the heavens and the host of heavens. And Psalms 148, 2, it says, Praise ye him, all his angels. Praise ye all his hosts. Verse 5, it says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. So we see that they are a created being. They're not something that, that has existed. They haven't existed for all of eternity the way God has. They, they have a similarity to humans in that we are eternal beings in the fact that, that we, our spirits will never die and neither the angels don't, don't die, but we both have a beginning. We both have a point where we are created. So we don't have a infinite beginning the way God does, but we do have an infinite ending. Again, time for another, another study, but that's the scriptural view of angels. They were created by God, an individual creation. It wasn't something where he could create two like he did with humans and then allow them to procreate and develop. Each one was individually created, just as Adam and Eve were created and all the animals were created. God had to individually create each angel because they are all individuals. Another thing that we know about angels and where we know that they are real is that they have personalities. The, some religions, Lutherans and, and others, uh, believe that angels are just an expression of God. So whenever God has a task or something that needs to be done, they believe that in the Bible, when the, when the angel of the Lord uh, destroyed Sennacherib, it, it was a storm or a hurricane. It was the, the force of God or the, the emphasis of God. It wasn't the, an actual angel that did that thing. But by saying that angels have personality, we understand that they are personal. I know that sounds kind of redundant. If you have personality, you're personal. Angels have personality. Since they have personality, we know that they're not just a force. This is the same flaw in the thought that the Holy Spirit is just the force of God. He's not just the force of God because one of the reasons why is because he has a personality. He can be grieved. He can be angered. He can, all these different things can, can happen, and that doesn't happen to a force. Forces don't have personalities. Beings have personalities. And the angels being created beings have personalities. First of all, we see that they have intellect. In 2 Samuel 14, 20, it says, To fetch about with this form of speech hath thy servant Joab done this thing, and my Lord is wise, according to the wisdom of an angel of God, to know all things that are in the earth. So they have intellect. They have wisdom. We see that, that angels are wise. Also, angels render worship to God. Individual forces or or Forces don't worship. Forces just respond and react. Angels worship God. In Psalms 148.2, it says, Praise ye him, all his angels. Praise ye him, all his hosts. The angels worship God. We see this in Revelation in the throne room where they worship before the throne. Angels have emotions. They have emotions. Not exactly the same way that humans do. Kind of ironically, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because we'll be talking about demons a little bit later on. But ironically, the emotions of demons are closer to the emotions of humans than the, than the emotions of the heavenly angels, which we're kind of more talking about the heavenly angels or the origins of angels now. We'll talk about demons a little bit further in the study. But they have emotions. In, order to, in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 13, it said, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. And what are they doing? They're praising God. In order to, to praise God, you, that's an emotion. You have to have an emotion to be able to praise God. Um, we see that more directly in the fallen angels and the demons in James 2.19. It says, thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and what? 
they tremble. Why do they tremble? They have emotions. They're not just forces, whether they're good angels, whether they're bad angels, uh, you know, as demons, Satan, whatever you want to call them, they do show emotions. The difference between demonic demons and their emotions and, and what we generally call angels and their emotions and why demons and their emotions are closer to ours is because demons have sin mixed in with their emotions. So they have sinful emotions that we don't have, or that, that angels don't have. And that's what makes them closer and more akin to the emotions that we have. Angels also have will. Angels can make a decision. Angels can choose things. They're not ro robots. In Isaiah chapter 14, we see uh, the cherub Lucifer, and probably one of the most um, powerful verses describing him and his failing in chapter number 14 of Isaiah. And verse number 13 says, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. What is he doing? He's making a conscious choice here. Satan made a choice to ascend into heaven. Then he says, I will exalt my throne. Again, another another choice. And he says, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. Another choice. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Over and over again, we see where Satan made a conscious choice or Lucifer made a conscious choice that ended up resulting in him falling from heaven. He had will. He had desire. And we see, and we talked about the demons later on, you'll see that a third of them chose, they weren't forced to, a third of them chose to follow Satan. As bizarre as that seems to us, that's what they chose to do. But we look around in our churches, we look around in our world today, and how many people and how many churches and how many religious leaders today are following Satan. They may not admit it, but the evidence is all there. So it's not that far out of bounds to think that a third of the angels would do the same when probably over two-thirds of the humans are doing that today. But they have will. They're cognizant. They realize their limitations. They understand their limitations. Uh, Matthew 24, 36 says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. They have limitations. There are things that they don't know. There's things that they don't understand. First Peter 1, 12, it says, Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them, which have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Remember that phrase. We're going to talk about that more in just a moment. Angels, they, they have a, a fascination. So that shows that they not only have that, understand their limitations, they, they don't partake in the salvation of man. And they realize that and they understand it. And it fascinates them which leads us to the next one. They, angels have a conscious, they have a conscious thirst for knowledge. They desire to know more things. They're, they're fascinated by us. It's interesting that there is no salvation for angels. We'll talk more about that, but they're fascinated by it because God has set a plan in place that, that creates a path of redemption for humans that have, have fallen, which we've all done that. But for the fallen angels, there is no path of redemption. It's different for them. Again, showing the difference between humans and angels. But they have that thirst for knowledge. They desire to look into. What do they desire to look into? This thing of salvation for us. They don't understand or they don't, or they try to understand and comprehend this thing that God is doing for us because it's not something that he did for them. It's something that's different for us. Let's look at the nature of angels for just a moment. I'll try and get through this before we have to stop tonight. First of all, we already talked about they're not glorified human beings. 
Matthew 2, 22, 30 says it will be as angels, not that we will be angels. First Corinthians 6, 3 says that we'll judge angels, which again shows there's a difference between us and angels. That's us when we're in heaven or you know, beyond this world, we'll come to a point where we will judge the angels, shows that not necessarily that we're superior, but that our function is different and that we will judge them. Hebrews 12, 22 and 23 distinguishes between the angels and the spirits of, of just uh, and the spirits of just men. So there, there's distinguishing there, there we just dis, are distinguished from them. Also, they don't have bodies like we would interpret them to have bodies. They're, they're spirits. They're not bodily. Uh, Hebrews 1, 7 says, and the angels, and of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers as a flame of fire. Hebrews 1, 14 says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth the minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Although angels are spirits, very often in the Bible, when they've revealed themselves to men, they've taken on a familiar form for us. They've taken on a form of something that we can understand and, and relate to. Most of the time, very human looking, but not always, uh, but most of the time, very, very human look, looking. Most of the time in the Bible, angels are spoken of in, in a sexless manner, even though the, the gender used to describe them is male. Uh, they were generally sexless because they don't, again, they don't procreate. They don't have a need for that. There isn't a distinguish between a male angel and a female angel, but they refer to them oftentimes as male. And the reason for that is kind of simple. It's the way our language is constructed. And most languages are constructed. If you're talking about a, a group of boys, you would call them, you know, uh, in a lot of languages, you call them boys. And in, in Spanish, I believe that's, uh, it's niños, right? And if you have a, a group of girls, you'd call them niñas, right? But if you have boys and girls mixed together, what do you call them? Do you call them niños or niñas? Call them niños. That's the way that the language is constructed. That doesn't mean they're all boys. It's an inclusive term. So when angels are referred to in the male, and that's not just in Spanish, that's, that's in most languages. And so when they're referred to in the male, it's not because it's, they're saying that they're male. And we see this in many places where God is talking about men, He's actually talking what we would say mankind, but he uses that term men to mean men and women, not just, not just men. And so we see that throughout the Bible, but we get hung up on it when it's the angels and the angels referred to as him. We assume that if there's hymns, there's got to be hers. And that's not the case with angels. We never see an, an incident where there's a, a female angel. Ironically, more often than not, when people have visions of angels that are contrary to the word of God, those visions are almost always females, which is kind of an interesting little little factoid there that, again, it's how those demons are presenting themselves. So I just find that interesting. I find that little things like that to be very, very interesting when I'm studying and reading about things. But they're spoken of as in a sexless way. There are no female angels mentioned anywhere in the Bible. There's no marriage mentioned anywhere in the Bible. We talked about the situation in Genesis chapter number six about the sons of God, whether or not that referred to angels or not. One of the reasons why a lot of theologians don't believe that's angels is because they don't believe angels can procreate because angels don't have the need to procreate. So they wouldn't procreate with other angels and they wouldn't procreate with humans. It's not just not something that they are physically able to do. We're not going to get into that entire discussion again. If you've got your opinions on that, great, more power to you. And uh, I'll keep my my understanding of that to myself because it doesn't add anything to the class. And it's, it's all speculation, whether you think they were angels, whether you think they were um, the offspring of Cain, it, it's all speculation because the Bible just doesn't tell us. Uh, let's see, where else are we at? 
they also we see that when they're referred to, they're referred to as a company, not a race. What's the difference between a company and a race? Well, we are a race of people. A race is something that, that procreates and grows. We started with two, which is the more and more we look into the timing of, of the DNA in, in humans and they start tracking it back. It's ironic that we can track ourselves back to a, a time when there was very few people on the earth, time that coincides with the flood that shows that there was just very few DNA, uh, different types of DNA at one point in time on the earth. And that coincides with the time of the flood, but that, that's a whole different thing. But we started with two people. We started with Adam, we started with Eve, and we began to grow from there. And we grew and grew and grew. And then the population of mankind was drastically reduced at the time of the flood, specifically down to eight people. And those eight people repopulated the earth. Angels don't do that. Angels don't have that. They're not a race. They're a, a company. Hebrews 12.22 says, But ye are come unto the Mount Sion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. The number we don't know. Now, that innumerable doesn't mean God doesn't know. It means that we don't know. And when we see them, and the few times that we've seen the heavenly host, it's been too many for the people that have seen it to count. And so they just use that term. It's kind of like counting the numbers of hairs on your head. God knows how many hairs are on your head. It's not innumerable to him, but it is to us. You know, we can estimate and guesstimate how many hairs we have on our head, but we don't know. It just, it's impossible to count. Um, there's just too much there but they are a company, not a race. I think we're going to stop right there. I don't want to get into the next section. I don't want to get into the next section because I don't think we have enough time to be able to, to, to complete it. And I feel like I've already been rushing tonight to get to a point where we have a good stopping point. But next week, we're going to look more, a little bit more about the power of angels. What can they do? What can they not do? We'll look more into the intelligence of angels, see what they do know, what they don't know. It's interesting. In many ways, they're very similar to God, but they're in every way, they're drastically limited from where God is. But we'll look into that next week. Like I said, I don't want to get too far into that and, and have to abruptly stop. So 